It is 7.01. You are listening to Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM and HD1. KMUE Eureka, 88.1 FM and HD1. KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM and on the web, KMUD.org. We're also on Shelter COVID, 99.5 on FM Translator, K258BQ. Stay tuned for Ask Your Herb Doctor. to this month's March 19th, 2021 edition of Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Martin. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Welcome. For those of you perhaps have never listened to the shows, they run the third Friday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. We invite callers to call in with any questions related uh, to the topic. The number is 707 3911. So the call is uh, 7.30 on. Uh, that's the number, 707 Or you can call toll-free 1-800-KMUDRAD. Okay. So uh, once again, we're joined by Dr. Raymond Peake and to bring his expertise to bear on the topic uh, this month. There's a continuing topic uh, with the current uh, coronavirus pandemic and the science behind some of the facts and some of the alternatives. Uh, and this month's topic is about the rollout of the uh, coronavirus vaccines and all the potential implications it has with the evidence that's being uh, discussed by professionals and scientists around the world, with which some of which we'll bring out in tonight's show. So, Dr. P, are you there? Yes. Hi, thanks again for joining us. Um, so really, the uh, the thrust of this evening, uh, the, the conversation here, I know we've spent quite a while in many of the previous shows in 2020 um, discussing the coronavirus pandemic's effect, um, discussing the figures, the death figures versus infection numbers, um, CDC admitting that the numbers have been conflated, um, and then certainly in the beginning part of this year, um, California came out of its um, purple tier um, and places were starting to open up again around the states and uh, I think at last count there were 17 states that were done with the mask mandate um, and the vaccine's been rolled out uh, for several months now and um, I think the thing that caught my attention a couple of days ago was a, a publication let me post back up uh, by saying that People like Simone Gold uh, from Frontline Medical Doctors has been relatively aggressive in explaining the negative effects of this experimental drug, and we're not going to call it a vaccine because it doesn't fit any of the parameters of the typical vaccines, um, you know, uh, how you would classify it. So we'll call it an experimental drug because that's what it is, and 
perhaps uh, you can get into that a little bit later, but people like Simone Gold and various other whistleblowers um, around the world uh, from respected medical colleges and universities to research scientists um, have been discussing um, the entire basis for this quote-unquote pandemic and um, its effects financially uh, and socially amongst people that have been locked down and all the differences in the disparate information that's come from countries that have had different approaches uh, to lockdown or no lockdown. Um, but I think what caught my interest again a few days ago, we came out, I think, um, March the 9th was, I think, when it was published, but a couple of days ago, uh, I saw an article by a Belgian uh, virologist, who I think is actually a veterinarian, uh, not to say that that undermines his credentials, but he's a veterinarian virologist. Um, he's had a fairly long, uh, experienced professional background with various companies from Bill and Melinda's, uh, the Gates Foundation, um, and working for companies that produce vaccines and worked within uh, vaccine production, etc., uh, and uh, novel technologies. So his, he had like a 45-minute um, interview, and uh, we can give that information out a little bit later, but uh, the main thing he was bringing to bear was, again, what Simone Gold has been arguing about, that really we're talking about 99.6% survivable uh, infection, and that vaccination, or not vaccination, but the experimental drugs use is the very last thing uh, that should be considered for those people that are at high risk. But then what um, Gert uh, Bosch is saying, that because of the mechanism of the experimental drug and how it is doing uh, what it's doing, uh, she's saying that there's this potential for new variants uh, to emerge under selective pressure because of the immune system uh, that's being targeted um, by antibodies, and that um, is really not the way to go, and that natural killer cells uh, or that type of therapy is a far better uh, way to uh, deal with this virus. So in terms of, in terms of uh, what you understand uh, from what he said about viral immune escape, um, you know, is it quote-unquote a leaky um, vaccine experimental drug? Um, what do you what do you know about his discussion in terms of what it says to you about the way we are dealing with this? Uh, his thing about the mutating uh, virus escaping uh, from a, a vaccine, the way it's being used, I, I think that's good standard uh, opinion. Uh, but uh, the the what what people can justly disagree. On is the uh, risk. Uh, he uh, gets very excited uh, thinking the risk is very high. Uh, but uh, if you uh, aren't convinced that the present uh, virus is so very deadly, uh, then an increase of uh, virulence might not be so so uh, dangerous as he is. Suggesting it, it's a possibility, but uh, I personally uh, uh, don't think it's uh, uh, compared to other uh, ongoing threats, uh, like like the the risk of world war breaking out. Uh, I think the idea of the vaccine causing uh, a, a worsening 
epidemic is a moderate to small risk. But another very important point that he makes is that the whole idea of a vaccine creating a very powerful antibody reaction to knock out that particular pathogen concentrating <clears throat> on the antigens of one particular organism. Uh, it's very effective for uh, uh, blocking uh, the development of that uh, organism, uh, of that pathogen in one organism. Uh, but meanwhile, you've devoted your immune system uh, to uh, reacting to that one a very specialized problem. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there is an infinite number of uh, uh, potential uh, immunological uh, dangers in the world, uh, and uh, any time you suffer an infection or a vaccination that uh, causes a very powerful uh, production of one single type of antibody, you're diverting resources from the ability to respond to that infinite number of, of immune challenges. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he doesn't state it exactly that way, but uh, uh, he emphasizes the, the natural killer cells uh, as uh, uh, one of the uh, things that should be given more attention because uh, these uh, exist in any healthy organism, and uh, within about three days uh, of uh, a viral infection, they will go to work to kill the cells that are damaged by the virus. Uh, they don't uh, uh, give their attention to killing a virus, but just to getting rid of the cells that are being used to multiply the virus. Uh, so uh, that's why... 99.6% of the people uh, not only survive, but most of them uh, don't even know they're sick uh, because uh, at the very earliest stage of infection, uh, the natural killer cells are, are there knocking out uh, the cells that would be multiplying the virus. Uh, uh, that's a very important point that he makes, uh, but I, I think it's only... A part a part of the story, uh, and he proposes to uh, use a, a different kind of vaccine to uh, improve our natural killer uh, cell uh, functions. But it turns out that all of the uh, treatments that have been active against the COVID-19 infection, uh, all of the actually helpful drugs in reducing mortality have had very significant anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, from the very first, uh, Chinese noticed that an anti-serotonin drug had action of preventing the development of the COVID infection uh, Sinanserin was the name of that, but since then, uh, several uh, antihistamines have been found effective. 
and the uh, natural flavonoids uh, uh, from uh, fruits and vegetables uh, are very effective at stopping the progress of the infection. Uh, uh, progesterone uh, blockers of angiotensin receptors, uh, all of the things that have been found to reduce mortality are very anti-inflammatory. And if you look at the natural killer cell, it's knocking out the the host cell, which gets inflamed, and being inflamed becomes a factory for making more viruses. So it's the 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 inflammation which is knocked out at the very beginning, three days from the time of infection. Uh, And uh, uh, these drugs are uh, not only uh, having an overlapping effect with the natural killer cells, but uh, that they are increasing uh, the number and power of the natural killer cells. Vitamin D, for example, uh, is a great anti-inflammatory agent, uh, stops and, and prevents the COVID infection, and uh, largely does it through uh, improving the, the action of the natural killer cells. So are you saying that when you have one of these vaccines, it causes your immune system to be highly specialized in dealing with the, it's the spike protein and making the antibodies to the covid is, when you said that it causes your immune system to be so involved with that that it, it fails to promote natural killer cell formation, is that what you were meaning? Uh, uh, it, well, not only the natural killer cells, but every other uh, level. The, uh, we normally have uh, an averaged out uh, a bunch of uh, uh, antibodies uh, which have an overlapping activity against anything you want to put into the bloodstream. These natural antibodies are just part of our basic defense system. But when so is, you is there a limit to the number of antibodies the body can make? And so if it's really no, no, focused on no. making antibodies to COVID, it can't make the other antibodies? Well, yeah, the, the uh, power uh, of your body to uh, manufacture proteins naturally is limited. Uh, and when the immune system uh, is swamped by uh, uh, a single uh, antigen and the antibodies for it, the presence of a large amount of any antibody evokes uh, counter antibodies to those, uh, it sends waves through all of the uh, antibody-producing system uh, and distracts, uh, gets the attention of uh, everything that uh, can make antibodies and directs the attention towards that uh, one antigen. Then that way you could become more susceptible to other infections. Uh, yeah, uh, and there were type. several studies uh, uh, last year uh, and uh, in recent years 
looking at the after effects of people getting vaccinated with the flu vaccine. The following year, they found that these vaccinated people for influenza had a much greater rate of COVID or coronavirus infections. Not necessarily this particular one, but coronaviruses in general. The vaccinated people were much more susceptible to infection with other agents, including the coronavirus. So it's well established that the immunity is one thing weakens your it makes you more susceptible to infection with other things. That isn't a new idea. Uh, I taught uh, immunology for a while at University of Veracruz uh, uh, 40, 40 years ago, uh, and at that time uh, that was already a, a current topic uh, that uh, uh, a- antibodies uh, are a, a very touchy thing to, to mess with, uh, and the uh, the actual uh, uh, theory of, of immunity and, and resistance uh, the last uh, 10 or 15 years has been going through uh, what looks like a paradigm shift, uh, but the, the official uh, science establishment, the government, and, and the big corporations are acting as if this isn't happening. You're listening to Ask Your Health Doctor, KMUD Gabriel, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 to the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you invite the call in. Guest speaker this month, Dr. Raymond P. Uh, the number is 707-923-3911. So, Dr. P., going, going back to... Um, I'd like to pick up on a little of what ties into the um, concept that you're discussing about antibody presentation and the immune system being swamped, as it were, um, with the effects of the experimental drug and what uh, Dr. Simone Gold was saying about antibody-dependent enhancement and some of the problems down the road when people come into contact with any other coronavirus. Um, what, what have you heard about that that makes sense scientifically? Um, it's um, really an, an established thing that um, the uh, antibodies are putting you at risk. Uh, the specialized antibodies increase your risk not only for uh, every other kind of, of challenge and infection, uh, uh, but uh, for general uh, inflammatory disease, uh, autoimmunity, uh, th- there is now an autoimmune disease epidemic going on. Uh, uh, That's with, what she, she was saying in a couple, sorry to interrupt, but she was saying in a few years uh, we would expect uh, to see a big rise in autoimmunity at much the same way that the autism uh, came about, presumably from the MMR vaccine when that was um, highlighted. So, so carry on with the autoimmunity aspect of what you're saying. Uh, uh, well, we're already seeing uh, uh, an epidemic of autoimmune disease that corresponds very closely to the huge expansion of, of the use of vaccines. 
and that was in the early eighties, right? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, around, right around uh, nineteen eighty, the, there was this uh, vast uh, campaign to vaccinate more and more people, uh, and uh, that's when uh, uh, this uh, uh, inflammatory uh, disease epidemic started uh, expanding in younger people, especially. The, uh, the nature of the immune system has been uh, described to suit uh, the doctrine of antibodies and germ-specific uh, treatment. It really goes back uh, just about 100 years, uh, following up on uh, Ehrlich's magic bullet uh, concept uh, for selling his uh, uh, drug treatment for syphilis and such. Uh, the, the idea that uh, every disease has a very specific poison or, or antibody uh, to attack it. Uh, and uh, there, there never was a, a real magic bullet uh, of a chemical nature, but uh, this idea dominated the, the idea of natural immunity, that it consists uh, essentially of uh, the ability to uh, greatly amplify the production of a single magic bullet antibody. Uh, but that absolutely has, has never been a, a scientifically based theory. It all derives from that magic idea. Pope Paul Ehrlich didn't necessarily have the right uh, had the right angle to pursue in terms of what he was given that Nobel Prize for in immunology. He was looking at something that not wasn't really tenable um, because it's uh, it's kind of misdirected. I know you I know you understand um, disease and the nature of disease and the treatment um, very differently from the mechanistic view, which I think what you're getting at with people like Ehrlich and and the drug industry in general, especially since the 50s or so, has become mechanized and there's a drug for a disease and people are they're always looking for new drugs for the diseases that we have or, you know, bring about new diseases by reason of using uh, various medications that predispose people to other conditions. But um, you mentioned also that... Uh, here. I know the the work you've done with progesterone and it's and or the antagonist to estrogen, which is progesterone. But you've mentioned before that estrogen uh, is extremely inflammatory in general um, and really doesn't have too much use outside of conception, but actually confirms a lot of risk, um, cancerous risk, uh, especially to females. Uh, and is a energy depleting, uh, water promoting. Uh, cell deficit from an energetic perspective type of um, uh, drug. But uh, you mentioned um, that estrogen itself is also connected to autoimmunity. And, and do you think there's any um, any real connection or association to make women more at risk? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, one of the first uh, uh, pro-inflammatory effects that uh, people understood uh, for estrogen was miscarriage. Uh, uh, estrogen creates an inflammatory state in the uterus, uh, leading to, to death of the uh, embryo uh, and miscarriage. 
and progesterone's anti-inflammatory effect protects against miscarriage. And the same changes that happen uh, to cause miscarriage uh, in uh, mature and aging women, uh, the, uh, the effect of estrogen is to increase the B cells, uh, the cells that manufacture uh, antibodies, uh, to increase the inflammatory signals and the actual quantity of B cells relative to uh, all of the other parts of the immune system. Uh, and the B cells, uh, uh, the, the more estrogen dominance there is, uh, the more B cells uh, tend to uh, overproduce their uh, antibodies. Uh, so it's, it's a deranged kind of antibody-centered, uh, uh, not exactly immunity, but uh, an inflammatory state. Uh, and uh, the, the healthy kind of uh, immunity and resistance bypasses the whole inflammatory uh, system. Uh, the, the healthy people who don't have any symptoms, who throw off or resist uh, the virus such as COVID, uh, they simply have such a strong immune system that inflammation never gets involved. The weaker the immune system is, uh, the farther along towards old age and stress disease, the more the B cells dominate uh, and uh, with their uh, over-concentration on making specific antibodies. Uh, and, and they take that, time, too, right? Uh, yeah, that leads to the, uh, all of the uh, autoimmune diseases, which are also uh, just variants of the natural uh, aging process. Uh, many people are now referring to inflammation, uh, uh, because of the identity of inflammation and the aging process. Uh, and uh, the, the paradigm shift that is happening is realizing that uh, inf inflammation is not part of the normal healthy immune process. Uh, it's part of a, a, a deranged or weakened uh, immune system. Uh, and that's why the anti-inflammatory chemicals and drugs and hormones uh, have been so effective in protecting people uh, from the uh, COVID uh, disease. So children, for example, they'll be having such a healthy immune system with so many natural killer cells that they'll just kill all the cells that are breeding the virus and they won't have any symptoms and the elderly have less number of natural killer cells? Uh, uh, yeah, a vitamin D deficiency uh, or, or an estrogen excess uh, lowers the function uh, of the natural killer cells. Okay. So you're listening to Ask Your Doctor, KMUD, Carbonville 91.1 FM. From now until 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in. The number is 707-923-3911. Dr. Raymond Pete joining us uh, this month's topic about the potential uh, viral immune escape of the uh, vaccination program with the experimental drugs that are on offer. Um, I think just to get back to that a little more, I know you said that um, 
there's probably a greater risk of world war than the outbreak of potentially virulent strains of new variants that are maybe selectively pressured to emerge um, as a result of um, the experimental drugs. Um, I think just looking, I had a quick look online. I was just wanting to I know we've heard um, of a South American variant, a P1 variant, they call it, and then there's apparently another a variant that's quote-unquote disturbing in South Africa, um, a, it's called a 501YV2 variant, and they're saying um, that all of these uh, variants are having varying degrees of neutralizing uh, monoclonal antibodies from the experimental drugs, and there are others that are circulating uh, within uh, America um, that are basically reducing the effectiveness and neutralizing monoclonal antibodies. And there's at least, I know you talked about lots of different variants that are present, but I know there's at least at least nine or ten that are on the radar um, as being, quote-unquote, potentially problematic from a point of view of escaping uh, any any immune response that would be uh, elicited by the experimental drugs that people are taking. Um, but what do, you, what do you think about the reality? I know you said that war is probably a greater, a greater uh, you know, reason to fear what's going on, but do you think there's any relatively reasonable uh, expectation that something could emerge out of this that has been pressured? Because I think that was a point of... Um, Geert's uh, paper to the World Health Organization is saying that never before in the history of mankind, and I know it's true enough, has there been uh, a vaccine rollout worldwide during a pandemic. Uh, yeah, that, that's a very good point. Uh, and uh, uh, other uh, viruses have uh, escaped uh, vaccines and uh, become a little more virulent. Uh, so it's always a valid possibility, uh, but uh, this particular uh, the COVID-19 itself, uh, its uh, danger has been publicized without revealing the evidence for it. Uh, people are suing the uh, state and federal uh, health departments, uh, asking them to reveal the evidence for uh, justifying uh, all of these uh, disruptive policies, uh, mask wearing, uh, lockdowns, vaccination. Uh, they're simply saying, uh, where, where is the evidence to justify that behavior? And the departments are refusing to uh, deliver whatever evidence they have. Uh, so uh, where it's always a possibility that a, a much worse a virus can emerge, but uh, starting, starting that's, with... Yeah, that's interesting, because the um, the process of uh, litigation, um, I know we listened, we listened to a, a couple of these specific topics, um, but the actual act of suing allows for the quote-unquote discovery uh, process to be in, initiated, where the person is is certainly under uh, obligation to reveal facts and material facts uh, surrounding what it is that's being um, brought against them. So I wonder that we haven't, at this point in time, for whatever reason, haven't heard 
the, or you know, it hasn't been discovered or whistleblown that these facts um, have been discovered and that this is now out in the open. I, I would only hope that um, that will happen because these lawsuits, like you said, are happening at a state and local level. Um, and I know there's quite a few different organizations that are getting together uh, purely from a litigious point of view to bring the law to bear on the subject and to make it all, make it all transparent. Uh, uh, yeah, basically uh, they're using the law to try to force uh, the, the government uh, to uh, talk about science, to, to actually uh, pre pre present some evidence you, you can't have science without evidence. They're constantly talking about the science, but when they ask for the evidence, uh, they refuse to, to talk about it. Well, there was the vaccine-induced polio outbreak in Pakistan um, that happened approximately 10 years ago, and now... I saw an article today that said COVID spiking in over a dozen states, most with high vaccination rates. So, um, you know, maybe we are seeing that happen. Uh, I, I also wanted to, wanted to mention the fact that um, uh, I saw an article also that uh, said, don't be surprised when vaccinated people get infected. And I've, I don't know, I just, it's gone on since the beginning, the kind of misnomers that are quoted. Um, both from the drug companies that say when you get this experimental drug, you know, you can still transmit the virus. It doesn't protect you, doesn't confer immunity. And so we wonder why then people ask why on earth they're taking it. Um, but they said that um, by the end of January, uh, reports came out of Oregon, uh, the Midwest and the South, uh, with the latest reports coming from Florida, Texas, and Hawaii, more than two weeks after people received their second dose, and that we're told that this is to be entirely expected and there's nothing to worry about, uh, and that is a tiny fraction, quote-unquote, of the 40 million so far vaccinated. Did you have any, did you have any comment on that in terms of um, what, what this means in terms of a, uh, a successful program? Uh, uh, the the uh Drug companies are saying it's, it's all coincidence. Uh, the, the people, hundreds of people dying uh, right after getting vaccinated, uh, even more uh, becoming paralyzed, uh, uh, fainting with, with shock. Uh, uh, they say that's all uh, within uh, the realm of, of chance, uh, that there, there's no evidence that the uh, vaccines are doing it, but when you uh, just compare the <clears throat> number of deaths between uh, two different uh, vaccines, uh, I think it was the uh, uh, COVID, the, the uh, Pfizer compared to the uh, AstraZeneca or maybe the Johnson and Johnson. But uh, the difference between two vaccines, there was a 27 percent uh, uh, greater uh, mortality. Uh, among the Pfizer, uh, so even though they say it's a random event, uh, the bad random events are statistically uh, significantly more common with the Pfizer product. Well, and then did you hear that in Europe, there's 20 countries in Europe that have banned the AstraZeneca um, because of uh, blood clots? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's an obvious thing to do. I think that, uh, that 
uh, anticipation of the danger uh, is why Merck decided not to uh, come out with a vaccine, even though Pfizer says uh, that their vaccine is uh, now the second most profitable drug in history. And as soon as they uh, can raise the price, it'll become the very most profitable drug ever. But still, uh, Merck decided not to make a vaccine, I, I think, because uh, they uh, felt uh, the need for uh, caution in uh, going into something that could kill millions of people. Do you, uh, by any chance, know what the number one drug is? If, if you're saying that this uh, potential, uh, this current current treatments are number two worldwide grossing uh, profitable product, uh, do you know what the number one is? Uh, no. Okay. So the Pfizer is the number two most profit. The Pfizer COVID nineteen vaccine is the number two most profitable drug in the world ever. Or ever. Is that what you're saying, Dr. Pete? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the what the most profitable is, but it's probably something else. Uh, almost. Yeah, well, when you think I mean, of the numbers of people that it's intended to reach, you would definitely imagine that it has the potential to be the number one spot because never before has there been such a worldwide effort uh, to produce a drug to treat the world's population, which I think is, is all part and parcel of wondering how it's come to this when, you know, against all of the science, uh, it seems to be a, a relatively survivable um, disease with a 99.6% survivability. So... In terms of um, in terms of children coming off pretty well from it because of their innate immune responses, um, I know you said that probably the best um, the, the best tactic really is to maintain a healthy immune system. And I think obviously when I think of um, the health of the general population, um, I don't feel too optimistic about the general health uh, of the population because of well, you know, all of the food, you know, the ingredients in the food supply, uh, people's lifestyle choices, uh, what they choose to put into their bodies, etc. certainly is not the most healthy. Um, what do you, uh, vitamin D, I know you've mentioned, um, obviously there are certainly things uh, from the herbal world that, you know, we've talked about in the past, like bicalf, skullcap, and um, pleurisy root, and obviously the uh, wild indigo, and elderflower, and elderberry, that kind of thing, uh, work to work as anti-inflammatories. Um, and you mentioned vitamin D is, is extremely important and becoming more and more recognized as time goes on. Um, in terms of uh, maintaining that, uh, are there any other any other routes that you would go go by? I know we've mentioned in the past things like ivermectin uh, has been shown to certainly be effective and bringing people out of uh, initial infection, uh, and as well as you know, some other agents that we've talked about um, well, as from a herbal perspective, licorice is is like the herbal equivalent of the steroids that they use to quell the inflammation. And thyme is also very anti-inflammatory and helps expectorate a lot of that watery mucus up. So thyme and licorice is another herbal ally to fight chest problems, chest infections. But, Dr. are there other agents you would suggest people use if they do come down with COVID? Uh, oh, um... Uh, the the um, zinc-rich foods uh, are uh, an, another very basic uh, uh, defense mechanism, uh, adequate vitamin A. <clears throat> uh, there have been studies in which uh, just supplementing vitamin A 
reduced a, a wide range of disease. Uh, so uh, generally, a broad spectrum, uh, well balanced uh, uh, nutrition uh, is uh, going to uh, increase uh, uh, your, your general health, uh, your, your uh, learning ability, uh, your uh, working ability, uh, as well as the uh, tendency not to uh, become infected. We have a caller. Okay. Okay, so let's uh, let's take this caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? Uh, from Whitethorn, and I'm curious if the doctor has recommendation for um, long haulers' lack of smell, like the, the loss of the smell maybe that hasn't all the way come back. Interesting. Dr. Speed, did you uh, hear that? Uh, no, I couldn't hear it. Okay, the, uh, the caller was asking for people that are long haulers. Um, they're taking a long time to recover, uh, particularly from the uh, lack of smell, the anosmia that they uh, recognize as a symptom of uh, initial infection. So any, uh, any idea uh, how to mitigate that if people still can't smell properly after having, quote, unquote, recovered? Uh, uh, zinc is one of the uh, essential factors uh, for uh, the olfactory nerves and, and taste nerves, uh, 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 possibly because it's uh, 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 involved in the uh, carbonic anhydrase enzyme, uh, and uh, that regulates uh, the, the uh, production of carbon dioxide uh, uh, versus bicarbonate, uh, and that is a, a major uh, uh, anti-inflammatory factor. Uh, 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 so the, the anti-inflammatory effects of, of zinc, uh, for example, I, I think uh, are largely working through the uh, uh, metabolism of carbon dioxide. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. And, and food sources of zinc, I mean, obviously you can supplement with a pill or tablet, but food sources, uh, zinc is quite rich in shellfish. I don't know if you eat shellfish, but oysters, mussels, clams. They're quite a rich source of zinc. And I'm, I know, Dr. Pete, in the past we've talked about um, specifically, and I don't know if you agree with this, but um, after looking at different zinc um, products, zinc picolinate seemed to be one that was quite well um, absorbed, tolerated. And, and this was in relation to um, viral infection from hepatitis virus. That I, I looked at a bunch of studies uh, when we were doing uh, different shows on uh, hepatitis as an example of uh, um, treatments for outside alternative treatments. And I saw a study that showed a, a very good correlation between low zinc levels uh, and um, people that were infected with hepatitis. And so um, do you think any of the mechanisms that you mentioned, the uh, anosmia being reversed through using zinc, uh, might, be, uh, might be based on that? Uh, uh, yeah, very possibly. Okay. Okay, you're listening to us here at Doctor on KMUD Rule 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in. Uh, Dr. Raymond Peake's joining us. Uh, the number is 707-923-3911. Okay, so going, uh, just going back again to, um, to Geert uh, and what he was saying, 
uh, I know that there may be there may or may not be. We'll see as time goes on. Number one, I think we'll have to see whether or not there really is uh, a serious problem uh, going forward with re-exposure to coronaviruses and how to control immune responses that actually do more damage than good. But what do you think? Do you? What do you I don't. I'm not even sure you know. I, I wasn't particularly going to ask, but. Um, what do you think about natural killer cell based vaccines? I mean, do you think that's um, do you think it's tenable? And I guess why haven't we looked at it yet? I, I think uh, Vandenbosch was working on a vaccine for chickens. Uh, didn't you mention that? Uh, uh, oh right, yeah, the Eric's uh, um, virus. Yeah, uh, it, it uh, seems like a possibility, but uh, still, I think. Uh, the, the general approach, uh, uh, things that increase your ability to retain uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, it happens that uh, zinc is a part of the enzyme reaction, uh, but uh, all of the other anti-inflammatory things that I mentioned are uh, uh, improve your uh, retention of, of carbon dioxide. Uh, the the uh, uh, calcium channel blockers, uh, which ha have been, uh, they showed uh, real benefits in, in treating COVID patients, uh, and they happen to uh, increase the carbon dioxide retention ability. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of common denominators in the anti-inflammatory and, and uh, antiviral functions. I had a question for you, Dr. Pete, that our listeners might be interested to hear you talk about, and that was if you know someone in your family that has had a COVID jab and or shot, <clears throat> whatever you want to call it, and you yourself don't want to have it, would you say there's a risk for the unvaccinated person to be around the person that has had the shot? And if so, does it differ with the mRNA and the and the attenuated live virus, like the Johnson & Johnson versus the Moderna and the Pfizer? And if so, what would you recommend for people? Um, I think uh, continuing uh, to be conscious of... Uh, Washing your hands and uh, just just not being too bold about possible exposures, but uh, I don't think that's a, a, a real a serious risk to catch something from from the vaccinated person. But uh, other other uh, vaccines have turned out to. Uh, create a vaccine-related epidemic, like currently in Africa, vaccine polio, the polio entirely dependent on the vaccine, is now the main epidemic concern. So there is precedent for the vaccine itself to cause and spread disease. So it isn't nonsense, but I don't think it's a great risk. 
You guys have another. So call. I guess it's good advice then for people that have had the vaccine to continue wearing their masks, basically, because then there's it, that minimizes the chance of them spreading anything uh, to unvaccinated people. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. If they uh, were a, a volunteer for the vaccination, uh, I think it's good to encourage them to wear the mask uh, since since they have participated in a completely unknown experiment. Uh, the, the experiment is necessarily the outcome is unknown. And since they're in an experiment, as an experimental guinea pig, they should volunteer to wear the mask. You Great, and I also had another question. Excuse me. Um, I spoke with someone yesterday who had, sorry, Sue, is there another caller? Yeah, excuse me, there is, yes. Okay, well, let, let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, David. I'm down in San Francisco. You know, I I, I definitely uh, agree that wearing a mask is a smart idea. You know, when we were five years old in kindergarten, we were told cover your mouth when you sneeze. And uh, Louis Pasteur discovered that it was a smart idea to have a mask, what, 150, 160 years ago? So the idea that there are people actually running around claiming that masks are a bad idea, that's just so preposterous. It's, it's pretty obvious that there's a propaganda uh, campaign, and I, I personally think it has to do with the land grab. But uh, down here in San Francisco, uh, we shut down a couple of weeks before almost everybody else did. Uh, on on uh, February 4th, it was discovered, February 4th of last year, we discovered that somebody had been at the convention center, and uh, the mayor immediately shut down the convention center. Uh, we lost probably a billion dollars in a single week uh, because we weren't going to have the Facebook convention here. And but we, our death count, uh, you know, we've got about 800,000 people. Our death count as of this minute is 461 people. Uh, a city of equal size in California is Fresno, and there are almost 1,000 people uh, because they, you know, run around with Kevin McCarthy and Devin Nunez uh, saying that, you know, it's against uh, freedom to, you know, the you don't have to wear a mask and whatnot. So, you know, it's preposterous. I, I personally think that uh, mismanaging this epidemic has to do with a land grab. You know, a real estate developer like Donald Trump knows that the easiest way to get land is to either get somebody sick or to get them to die, and they have to sell the family house or, or family lands to deal with uh, the medical bills. But uh, I wanted to ask the, uh, your guest if uh, uh, two different questions. One, whether he thinks that uh, COVID is, since it's a brand new disease, whether he thinks that it has its origins in pollution. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Wuhan, China, is basically one of the most polluted cities in the world, uh, and the sweatshop workers were reduced to eating bats, and bats... Uh, of course, bats eat bugs, and any bug that can survive all of that pollution has got to be, you know, bats metastasize uh, uh, diseases, and if the poor sweatshop workers are forced to eat bats, 
what are the odds that this disease originated from pollution? Uh, there are some good publications showing that the inflammation caused by air pollution uh, does make you much more susceptible to viral infections. Sure. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, the second thing is whether or not there's any sort of natural critter that'll eat a virus. I'm just wondering, you know, there are a lot of naturopaths in California that are refusing to get vaccinated. Is there any kind of, um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, some kind of a food or an herb or, a, you know, a, something that would consume a virus? Uh, you know, they're, they're saying we shouldn't be using all of these uh, elaborate things like bleaches and, you know, uh, uh, cleansers to kill COVID. It's, it, it's just as easy to get rid of it with soap and water. And whether or not uh, there's some sort of a natural device, a natural creature that'll, that'll consume a virus. Uh, um, sunlight, uh, ultraviolet light, uh, uh, destroys it fairly quickly. But is there, you know, if you get it in your system, is there, uh, you know, it, it, an odd thing. I don't want to make light of, uh, of cannabis, but I've, I've had uh, bronchitis three times in my life that was so bad I was close to pneumonia. Uh, twice I was spitting up, uh, you know, dark, dark green, and one time I was spitting up dark green with blood in it. And I had no medical uh, coverage, so I smoked the cheapest pot that I could get, and I, would, I was trying to dry out my lungs, and I would find the cheap pot because I knew it would make me cough, and if I got this dusty smoke up in my lungs, I would hack and cough and cough and cough, but if I found the funniest book that I could find, so I found Mark Twain, I found Hunter S. Thompson, and I would laugh and cough, and I, it would bring my spirits up while I'm coughing, and it would encourage me to get back to the laughter, get back to the smoking it. And I eventually it took about two or three days, and I eventually coughed up so much stuff it was, I was well over it. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, looked at just a kind of a symptomatic way of getting rid of it. You know, like a a dust or an ash basically in your lungs, and and uh, you know powderize a lot of herbs. A lot of herbs are, um, have expectorant properties like the pine, licorice, Ellen Campaign. Right. They actually encourage coughing, and that's how they work. Uh, speaking of herbs, uh, emodin, which is the active ingredient in Chinese rhubarb and cascara sagrada, uh, specifically blocks the coronavirus spike protein and uh, the angiotensin uh, converting enzyme. Uh, uh, so it, it's a, uh, uh, besides being anti-inflammatory and restorative of mitochondrial respiration and many good things, it, it does have a, a specific yeah. antiviral action. Would it, have, would it have any purging effects? I mean, how much would you, I wonder how much you'd have to use to uh, get a therapeutic effect to block uh, the activity of coronavirus versus it's um, laxative effects. Uh, oh, uh, the sensitivity varies, but uh, if you're going to treat something uh, deadly, uh, for example, advanced uh, kidney failure, uh, the kidneys are so improved by the emodin function uh, that I don't think anyone worries about 
a little laxity right. action. <laughs> okay. And you always say that it's far better to be uh, in a loose state than have any kind of uh, any kind of constipation. I know from the perspective of using cascara. We're running uh, short of time here, but I did want to ask you one more quick question, Dr. Pete. For people that are having really adverse effects to so the first shot of the mRNA, either the Pfizer or the Moderna, what would you recommend they use to help mitigate those adverse effects they're experiencing? First thing is to um, make sure their blood sugar doesn't fall because falling blood sugar is the most powerful pro-inflammatory thing possible. Any little... Uh, allergen can be t- become deadly uh, when your blood sugar is very low, uh, and raising the blood sugar uh, quiets the immune inflammatory reactions. Uh, and uh, the uh, uh, baking soda uh, providing uh, both some uh, uh, bicarbonate or carbon dioxide and sodium uh, is another uh, uh, quick-acting anti-inflammatory thing. Do you guys Great. Think, Thank you so much for that. Do you guys want to, excuse me, do you guys want to take, try to take another quick call? No, you can't. It's two minutes to the hour. Unless, okay. unless whoever's after us uh, doesn't mind, I don't want to step on someone's toes. Uh, you tell me, Sue. Do you, do you mind if they go over, Shaka? Uh, we kind of don't want to make Okay. I no, do want no, to we're mention, done. I think we're done. Well, yeah. We're done, Sue? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I do want to mention that we do have Cascara now up on our website. It hasn't been up there for many, many years. We re-updated our website, and a lot of herbs we've talked about we do have available on our website, but we also now have Cascara. So talking about Cascara, I wanted to mention that. Our website is westernbotanicalmedicine.com, and my name is Sarah Johannesson-Murray. And thanks so much for listening until the third Friday of next month. Thank you, Dr. Pete, for your time, as always. And for people who want to listen to the show again on the archives, uh, kmud.org, underneath the radio, uh, underneath the shows, the uh, archives, you can listen uh, to an archive of that. And also, uh, we have most of the shows on our website as well, but I know some of those from 2020 uh, are still to be put up from the last part of it. And it's westernbotanicalmedicine.com. And for those wanting to look into what Dr. Pete's um, research has been, you can visit www.raypeat.com. That's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. He has many, many scientifically validated reference articles on there. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Good night.